Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came, went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Among those yearning ones, yearning ones was Anna. Anna in Luke 2.36. She's one of the Israel within Israel. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phenel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years old. She was 84, which departed not from the temple, but served God, fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake to all of them that looked for redemption in, his, in Jerusalem. So what she was saying, she was finding out who are those few? Who is that Israel within the Israel? Who are the waiting ones? Who are the yearning ones? And then she spoke to them who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Among those yearning ones was David, King David. You could call him that. In Psalm 14, 7, Psalm 14, 7, he's yearning when he says, oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, Israel shall be glad. He says, oh, the salvation, oh, that the Yeshua, oh, that the Jesus of Israel were come out of Zion. He expresses this in Psalm 119, 174. Psalm 119, 174, I have longed for thy salvation. What's he saying? I have longed for thy Yeshua, I have longed for thy Jesus. These are the waiting ones. These are the yearning ones, and these made up the very small remnant within Israel. They are the inner Israel. They're loyal to the Lord. They're loyal to his prophets. This inner Israel has believed God, always has believed God. This inner Israel have believed that the prophets have pointed to this great coming one who's gonna deliver them from their real enemy that they recognized was their own sins. And so this inner Israel were all waiting, they were all yearning for the great coming one. And the book of Psalms is right in the middle of their path. And it makes sense that this great coming one has a very prominent place within the book of Psalms. This great coming one is presented in the Psalms as God's answer to the need of the human soul, need to be delivered from personal sins. Psalm 22 speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ like no other psalm does. And this first verse is really a drawing verse. I told you, it's very popular among the Jewish people. It's a drawing verse for every Jewish reader as it says, Eli, Eli, it's a cry. It's an Eli, Eli cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the reason why this first verse in Psalm 22 
draws in the Jewish people as a question that they feel of being forsaken with the great question, why, why God, why God, why have you forsaken me? But it does not say, God, God, why have you forsaken me? It says, my God, it doesn't say LL, it's Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's a terrible word, forsaken. Forsaken is a terrible word. To be forsaken is terrible. There's nothing more terrible than to be forsaken, than to be forsaken by God, is the feeling of being thrown overboard at sea and watching the boat sail away from you. It's something to be feared. The Lord Jesus said, fear this, being forsaken. He said in, he said in Matthew 10, 28, Matthew 10, 28, fear not them which kill the body, who are able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell, in hell. That's why hell in essence is, Matthew 25, 30, Matthew 25, 30, cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Nothing worse than to be cast away from God or forsaken into a hell of outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the Jewish people commonly expressed the worst part, as I was saying, about the Holocaust, which was not what the Nazis did to them, but it was this haunting question, where was God? Where was God? That's why the Jewish people identify with this first verse, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now this first verse of Psalm 22 is a cry of the worst despair of being forsaken by God, but this same Psalm 22 ends with the salvation of the world. It ends with the world turning to God and worshiping him. In Psalm 22, verse seven, verse 27, verse 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. So there's a big question. How can a psalm have the worst start of the greatest despair and then have the greatest ending? That's the beauty of Psalm 22. That's the beauty. Because first, what this psalm does is it draws in, it draws in those who feel, I've been forsaken by God, so you're drawn in to Psalm 22. And then once the draw happens, then the finger points. So the draw occurs first, and then the finger points to the one who was forsaken by God, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he cried these words. He cried these words in the last three hours of his life when the earth was in a state of complete darkness in Matthew 27, 46, Matthew 27, 46. So God sets this question before every man. And the question is, why was the Lord Jesus Christ forsaken of God? That's the question. To find that answer, to find that answer is to find the treasure of personal salvation. Finding that answer is, is personally to be saved. The treasure of this psalm is to discover why the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God and who had become a man, why he was forsaken by God. Why was the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, forsaken by God? Why was God, the Lord Jesus Christ, forsaken by God? Why was God forsaken by God? That's the question. This psalm asked that question in the beginning, and this psalm gives the answer to that question. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's looking for help from God. Help is so far, so far from him. And it says, why art thou so far from helping me in verse one? He's not just asking God for help. He's roaring for help, he says. From all the depths of his soul, he's crying. and He's roaring to God for help. But no help came. No help came. 
And during the daytime, as he was being beaten, as he was being crucified, he said in the second verse, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. It was not that he was being heard and not answered. It wasn't even he was being heard. And then during the night, during the night, what happened in the night? He was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He saw his disciples run away from him. He saw all of his friends forsake him in the night. He was beaten in the Sanhedrin. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was falsely accused. He went through an unfair trial. He was condemned all in the night. All happened to him during the night. And what was he doing in the night? He said, in a night season, I'm not silent. I'm not silent. He's praying. He's praying to God all throughout that night. He's not silent. His prayer to God goes up, but no answer comes. No answer comes. No help comes from God. He's being forsaken by God through so much and for so long. He prays and no help comes. That's why the question is, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the burning question. Verse three is the answer. He answers his own question with simple words in verse three. But thou art holy. Thou art holy. That's the answer to the question of why he was forsaken. He was forsaken because of the holiness of God. This is the one who never knew anything except the constant presence and the help of God. He said in John 8, 16, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. See, in John 8, 29, he says, he that sent me is with me, and the Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. John 14.10, John 14.10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. See, John 16.32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, now is, that they shall be scattered, every one to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. It's this presence of God the Father that is with him the most important issue in his life. He cherishes the presence of God the Father. He speaks of the utter importance of God the Father with him. He never wanted to do anything that would make the Father not happy with him. That's why he said in John 8, 29, John 8, 29, he said, he that has sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That was everything to him. That was everything to the Lord Jesus, just to have God the Father with him. The very worst that could happen to the Lord Jesus was to have God the Father forsake him. To go through the cross without God the Father with him was unthinkable for him. That's exactly what happened. So naturally, he asked the question, why? And the Lord Jesus, he said, look, he's done everything to please God the Father so that God the Father would never leave him, and now he finds that God the Father has left him. And this being forsaken by God comes as such a shock and a stun to him that he says, why? And in this question in verse one, we can hear the Lord Jesus Christ really saying, what have I done to make you leave me? He remembers God the Father who publicly speaks about him when he enters his ministry at his baptism in Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He remembers God the Father's voice on the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Matthew 17.5, Matthew 17.5, 
while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in him in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And his whole life has been wrapped up with one goal, which is to please God the Father as he gives his final report. And he's so happy to give this report in John 17, 4. John 17, 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now God the Father has forsaken him. Forsaken him. And we can hear the shock and the stun in his question. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We can hear him say, your presence with me has been my highest treasure. I never wanted you to leave me. Why, why, what have I done? Why hast thou forsaken me? His question is so personal when he says, my God, my God. He doesn't, in his personal pronouns, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't say, why have I been forsaken? Or why have you forsaken? It's very too personal when he said, why hast thou forsaken me? And he answers the question as we said here in verse three, thou art holy. That's the answer, the holiness of God. He understands. It's the holiness of God that is the reason that he's been forsaken by God the Father. Why? Because the great transfer has begun. The great transfer has started. What transfer? The great transfer, the great laying on on him has begun, which is prophesied in Isaiah 53.6. Isaiah 53.6. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the great transfer, the great laying on of him. The great bearing has begun. The great bearing, what bearing? Isaiah 53, 11, he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53, 12, he bear the sin of many. Isaiah 53, 4, he hath borne our griefs. The great carrying has begun. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath carried our sorrows. The great wounding has begun. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. The great bruising has begun. Isaiah 53, 5, he was bruised for our iniquities. And what is all this? What is all this great laying on him of the iniquity of us all? What is all this great bearing on of all of our iniquities and sins and griefs? What's all this great carrying of our sorrows, this great wounding for our transgressions, this great bruising for our iniquities? What is all this? This is 2 Corinthians 5.11. This is 2 Corinthians 5.11. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of of God in him. This is all the great transfer. It's begun, this great transfer of all of our sin from us to him, the great laying on of our sins on him, the great bearing of our sins, the great carrying of our sorrows, wounding for our transgressions, bruising for our iniquities. It's all involved in him being made, what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, being made sin for us. Now, as our sins were laid on him and he bore our sins, carried our sins, God cannot look on the sins that were laid on him. He was bearing, he's carrying, he's being judged. As it says in, in Habakkuk 1.13, Habakkuk 1.13, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. That's it, Habakkuk 1.13. God has purer eyes than to behold evil. He cannot look on iniquity. That's it. That's the Psalm 22.3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Only those who have been made holy can be in the presence of God. As Eric quoted, and I didn't coach him to quote this, 
but he quoted this in Psalm 96, 9. Psalm 96, 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We must be in the beauty of holiness to worship the Lord. The, the essential quality of God is that he's holy. Isaiah saw this, Isaiah 6, 3. The one cried unto another, he wrote when he saw this, and they were crying, holy, 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 kadosh, 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 is the Lord God, Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God was holy. And at that moment, the unthinkable happened for which he had prayed that if it was possible, this cup would pass from him. That, and that was 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Now, when it says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he hath made him to be sin for us, please, 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 do not ever think that the Lord Jesus Christ became sin through and through. He was the unblemished lamb. He was never blemished with sin, even at that moment. The Greek word that's used here for sin is harmatia, harmatia. And when the Septuagint translators, the 70 translators in Alexandria translated the Old Testament into Greek, they used that word, harmatia, to refer to the sin offering in the book of Leviticus. That's the sin offering. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that he's holy yesterday, today, and forever. As a sin offering, he bore our sins. He suffered the penalty for our sins, but he did not become sin in itself. Benny Hinn, anyway, he is 100% in error when he said that the Lord not only did not, I can't even hardly say these words, you know, I have to read them, did not take my sin, he became sin, he became one with the nature of Satan. The Lord Jesus Christ was holy on the cross. Even as he bore our sins, he never became sin itself. He never became one with the nature of Satan. When the Bible said that the Lord Jesus was made sin, it means that he was made the harmatia. He was made the sin offering, and he bore our sins, and he received the punishment for our sins. But because he was bearing sins, God the Father could not look on him because God cannot look on iniquity. That would be for God to see sins, which he can't do because God's the Father's holy. So here we have the answer to the question, why did he cry from the cross of this deep inner anguish, this extreme torture of his soul? Why did God forsake the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross? Why did the Lord Jesus wail from the cross? Why did the Lord Jesus cry this from the cross? There's only one answer. Verse three, thou art holy. It was because of the holiness of God. He cried from the cross because of the holiness of God, because he was made the sin offering for us. So now we've answered this question, why did the Lord Jesus cry from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because of the holiness of God, because he was made to bear our sins on the cross. And this was so important for us, why? Because really, before this happened, we had no answer to the question, what about your sins? We had no answer. And we had no response to the question, well, why should God not cast you into a forsaken hell for all of eternity? We were vulnerable. We were exposed to the wrath of God for our sins. And we had one vital need for us, and we needed a sin offering that would be acceptable to God to cover all our sins. And that was the need that the Lord Jesus stepped in to meet when he answered a question in heaven as to Who's gonna go and become the sin offering for the desperate need of man? And the Lord Jesus Christ steps up. And again, in the Psalms, Psalm 40, verse seven, then said I, lo, I come. 
In the volume of the book, it's written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. When he said in that Psalm 40, verse 8, Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, he was focused on the will of God. He knew perfectly what the will of God was. He stated the will of God. Have you ever thought that the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, is a statement of the will of God? It is. When he said, think about it, he's revealing the will of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was the love of God the Father to give the son because the father did not want anyone, he didn't want us to be punished eternally in hell. That reminds me of what happened to my friend Clint. He's got nine children, one on the way. If he doesn't have enough, he has more children anyway. So yesterday, his eight-year-old daughter, Caitlin, she got in trouble, and she was gonna be punished. But his seven-year-old daughter, Candace, who has a real tender heart and a love for Caitlin, she came up, she said, Dad, punish me instead of Caitlin. Boy, why'd she do that? She didn't wanna see Caitlin get punished. That's what love is. That's a picture of what God did and why he gave his son because he didn't want to see us get punished for our sins. He's got that heart. He knew, the Lord Jesus, he knew what the Father's will was. What's the Father's will? No one should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The 1 Timothy 2, 4. 1 Timothy 2, 4. This is the Father's will. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He knew that the Father's will was not that any should perish, was that there was only one way, only one possibility for everybody on earth to be saved from their sins, and that was if he came to do the Father's will so that no one would perish, and he opens the door for everyone, everyone to be saved when he became the sin offering for the sins of the whole world. And it says in 1 John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world. The Father's will was so much that he wanted to do that that he spoke of the Father's will as being so important to him. The Lord Jesus said in John 4.34, John 4.34, Jesus saith unto him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He had one reason to come down from heaven and only one reason, and he said it in John 6.38, John 6.38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He had one reason for coming from heaven to earth. It was to do the Father's will. And the Father's will was that no one should perish and everyone should be saved from their sins. And that no one should go to hell. Everyone should be spared from hell. That was his sole purpose in coming. And the only reason that you and I can sit here today in a state of having all our sins forgiven, and let me use the word, with a guaranteed entrance and welcome into heaven, is because the Father is not willing that any should perish, including you and I, but is willing that all should be saved. It's because the Son was willing to do the Father's will, which meant he had to bear all the sins of every man on himself. He had to become the sin offering, the only one that the Father would accept, and that's all encompassed in this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Just last week, I had somebody say, you know, I was talking about dying to go to heaven, and the person said to me, there's no guarantee. 
Oh, but there is. And a guarantee is only as good as the person who's guaranteeing it. And I didn't say to this person, I guarantee it, okay? I didn't say that. But the truth is, God guaranteed it. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 